Hey, this is Kevin Weatherby at Save the Cowboy. I want you to tow that stirrup, throw a leg over the candle, take a deep seat, and pull your hat down tight. I ain't gonna tolerate no whining or griping, so let's all strike a long trot down that narrow trail and learn how to ride with God. Come on! What you waiting on? Let's go. I just wanted to uh, um, give a quick shout out to people. Um, it's been amazing. Um, just the relationships and stuff that I've gotten to develop with people and the relationships, obviously with these people uh, in here on Sunday night, um, like Kevin said this morning, it's like a, becoming just some of my closest friends, you know, brothers, sisters, things like that. And, and some of my biggest um, cheerleaders and, and we all just love Jesus and um, want to continue the mission here on earth. So thank you to that. But I also want to say thank you to the online people. Um, I've just had a ton of people that are always reaching out and are always so encouraging and um, just a, a ton of support um, of from people that really build me up and tell me, you know, how through through us on Sunday evening, how God's working through their lives. And it's just real encouraging to hear that stuff. So I think sometimes, especially with the Long X Ranch Cowboys and stuff, we have a tendency to um, forget that, you know, there there's sometimes a couple hundred people are in here and, and a little less on Sunday evenings. Um, but there, there's just as many out there watching and just as many that are carrying on our mission there. So I'm just ever so thankful for you guys that support what we're doing and, and specifically support what we're doing on Sunday evenings as well. So um, it's not always the easiest to carry those burdens or like Mitch said, you know, in his prayer, which I really appreciate is just there's a burden that comes with leading people and doing this every Sunday evening. So to hear you guys and, and um, to hear that we're having an effect on people just, just means so much. So thank you guys for that. I, I, and I specifically want to acknowledge online people because I can talk to these people here. I, you know, I can't always do that in person. So thank you guys. So, um, this evening, we're going to wrap up this series that we've been in, and it's been a, a, a four-part sermon series. And what, what happened is, at the beginning of the year, after talking to you guys and after um, um, talking with Save the Cowboy leadership and all of that stuff, we decided we wanted to extend an invitation, right, for, for people to really start sharing the message on Sunday evenings and making it look a little different. And, and my... In me asking that of you guys, I promised that like, hey, we're going to put some good sermons together. And we decided like the first sermon series we were going to do, we were going to tailor it on um, the characteristics of Jesus for people who may not know him or understand him. Um, and more, specific, more specifically, the loving nature that Jesus showed. So um, what I wanted to do was put together some things um, for people to hear because there's all these narratives, right? There's all these narratives about Christianity and there's these narratives about who we are and most of them is false, right? Anytime somebody can boldly say somebody is something, they're usually off base, right? And it's the same thing. So I think it's important for us to start understanding like the characteristics of Jesus and who Jesus is. And the interesting thing that's kind of happened with that is we're getting it on Sunday morning too. Like the, I think the Torah series that we've been going through has been groundbreaking. I, I need to go on a side tangent real quick too. Um, it was mentioned that I talk with my hands a lot this morning. So that's really been on my mind too. And I'm doing it. I apologize. My mom's side of the family is Italian. Uh, believe it or not. Yeah, I got, that's why I got my support here up front. So I talk with my hands, just deal with it. It's like, you know, I'm getting into it when I'm right here and I'm talking with my hands and doing stuff with you guys. But anyways, <laughs> going back, um, so we've gotten that experience in the Torah, and, and what I love about that is, is it, all, it all circulates back to the gospel, right, and back to Jesus, and Kevin's done like such a masterful job of doing that. And then we get to pick up on that on Sunday evenings, like, hey, this is what was happening in the Old Testament, and now we get to see... Um, the rewards of that, right? That, that the rewards of like these people had to do these sacrifices and we were in Leviticus today, which is just not a fun book to read. And then we get to see like the coming of Jesus Christ 
um, gave us the right to just be in the presence of the, the coming and sacrifice of Jesus, just gave us the right to be in the presence of God. And back in the Old Testament, they didn't get that, right? They had to make sacrifices. They had to have priests, intermediaries. They had to have things like that. And we take those things for granted, right? We take for granted the fact that we get to just pray and call on God's name every day and he's there with us. I mean, that, that we don't have to purify ourselves or... Um, practice sacrificial law or things like that. Like we just get to be in the presence of God. And that my friends is the whole point of what we're talking about here, right? Because to understand Christianity and to explain that to a new person, we have to understand who Jesus is because that's our foundation, right? That's our theology. We hear these, these words like, I fear sometimes that we've made a sport or like a, a hobby f- out of um, like the Bible and studying the Bible, which is fine. And we call that theology, right? And then from theology spawns these other things, right? But do we truly, and, and to answer this truthfully, do we truly understand the basics of the, of the God that we serve, right? Do we understand who Jesus is and why we're called to do what we do? And that's the point of what we're looking at here. And everything in this series and everything really in the gospel circles back for Jesus, and I'll even take it further, for God, Jesus, um, the Holy Spirit, you know, the Trinity, their love for mankind, and, and their specifically their love for you. So, we're going to close that out this evening, and, and I, I really just hope and pray that, that it, it, it comes through me well, and I hope and pray that it's done something in you guys, too. So just keep those things in mind. I, I just want to start off on a little passionate rant. Um, but I got a question for you guys. Uh, does anybody in here feel underappreciated? Yeah? No? <laughs> like, type it in online, right? How about overwhelmed? Unworthy? Things of that nature, I would venture to guess that I'm not off base by saying that everybody in here at this point probably struggles with one of those three things. And it was interesting this week because um, I'm t- I can tend to procrastinate on a couple little things in life, especially with like my vehicle or if I have something to do, I'll, I'll procrastinate. So this week... Um, we had that snowstorm that came through, and um, we were um, meet up, meeting up in Castle Rock to do this, to um, actually watch The Chosen um, as a ministry and, and some people. And I had worked the night before, so I was just getting off really lazy that morning. That morning, um, anytime it snows, just so you guys know in El Paso County and we're working, we will literally be on the interstate running slide offs from, you know, for hours. Like it was like seven, eight hours we were on the interstate with like a 30 minute break. So I was really tired that morning. Um, I had, I've had this warning in my truck that I need to replace um, the windshield washer fluid. Anybody get those? And I'm really, that's the stuff I'm really bad about. Like, I'll be, like, if I hear or I smell something, we'll be on it fixing that, right? But little things that I'm like, oh, I can just deal with that later, I let go. So I let this, this uh, thing go, and on my ride home, what happens when, when the snow starts melting, right? Everybody gets out and starts driving, and the road is wet, so it starts kicking up all this grime, right? And I, at this point, I'm, I'm washing it off, washing it off, running, driving up Highway 24, and um, I run out of windshield washer fluid. So now I have to strategically, um, like, use my windshield washer fluid, because if you know the thing about the wet road grime on any of you ever been in this situation, let me explain this to you. So now you have to be strategic about how you use your windshield wipers, right? Because if there's too much road grime, or I'm sorry, not enough road grime, it's just going to smear it, right? You have to, but if you're in the middle, it's going to be too much to where you can't see. So you have to let just enough get on there to where you can um, wash it off and, and it'll be clear, right? So on my way home, I finally gave it that last wipe. There wasn't enough wet road grime, so it just put this film across my, um, my windshield. So I stop off. I take like a little 20-minute nap. Um, of course, I didn't wake up for Mitch, who wanted to give me a ride anyways, which would have saved me all of this trouble. 
and I'm running late, so I get up, I just decide that I'm gonna drive with my windshield like this. So I get there, no problem. Um, we go and watch this movie. It, the thing about Castle Rock too is like, I'm too poor to be there. Um, Castle Rock was always like us El, El Paso. What, I asked Mitch earlier what we call people from Kansas, but us, us people from El Paso County, we'll call them El Paso Countyans. Um, we don't, we don't go places like that. That's for, that's for the rich people. So I already feel out of place being in Castle Rock. Um, I can't see anything, so there's a very real chance that I, uh, I definitely ran over some roadkill, but there's a very real chance that I may have hit somebody or something, but I got there just in fine. There's no dents in my truck, anything like that. So we get out of the movie and I'm like, start my truck up. I almost run Joe Douglas over um, because he does weird stuff in front of my truck. I almost run Tanaya over, which didn't make Mitch very happy. So at that point, I'm like, I need to get some windshield washer fluid. Um, so I, I, I sneak to the gas station and it's dark outside. That's why I cannot see here. Go and uh, look for the little, um, little buckets. Of course, it's cold outside. They don't have that. Go into the gas station attendant, buy some Starburst or something um, so we don't have an awkward conversation and ask him if he has any windshield washer fluid because I walked around like a chicken with its head cut off looking for it. He said no. Okay, on to the next gas station, it was no. I end up going to four gas stations before I either find uh, the little bucket that I can clean off my windshield or um, finally, 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 a bucket of, or a, a, a jug of windshield washer fluid. So, I get that in, it's all good. Finally clean out my windshield, right? And at this point, this sermon is sounding like a, a great um, descriptive sermon about I was blind and I can see now, right? Uh, that, that's not at all what this is. Like that would have been perfect. I just, it, pretend you guys didn't hear this so we can talk about this again. Um, so I end up go. I'm just frustrated, right? Like, do you guys ever get to that point where you're in a place you don't really understand? Um, I can't find any... Um, auto parts stores or anything. There's nothing at the gas station. So at this point, I'm just highly frustrated, right? So I, there's one thing I love in life and Tanaya uh, has been giving me um, flack about this since I get there. But if I'm on edge or I just want to cool down and take that edge off, I don't drink, I, do, I don't do anything like that. And I know you guys will probably yell at me about this more than actually drinking alcohol. I love Coke Zero. <laughs> So when I'm on edge, I'm looking to just let me get a, a, a smooth Coke Zero in me and I'll be okay, right? It, it'll heal anything. It fills the cracks of the heart. Um, so there's a, a, literally a Wendy's right next door. So I go to this Wendy's and I don't get along. I, I have this thing about me like I try to feel the most Christian um, when I'm going through drive throughs right? Because those teenagers, and we've talked about this up here before, those teenagers will test you. Madeline's laughing. Um, those teenagers will test you, right? They're rude. Something happened during COVID to where customer service is not what it used to be. So I just try to be really, really nice to them. Like, I feel like that's my, my um, good deed with God is I'm just going to be really nice to these people. So I couldn't see, I couldn't find what I needed. I'm in a place that, that nothing makes sense. No, nobody's like me there. And I'm frustrated because I'm like, oh, okay, now I don't really want to deal with this rude teenager that's about to come over the intercom. Long story short, because we're gonna get to a sermon at some point here. Um, it ends up being a, like the nicest old man that I ever talked to. Like, I, I kid you not, I like saw Jesus through this guy. To the point, like I was so frustrated, and this sounds so stupid, but I know we've all been there. I was so frustrated, I almost had like tears of anger. That's just how bad I wanted to be out of there. And this guy, I, like he, he, he gave me it and I said, God bless you, sir. Not only because I was getting my Coke Zero, but because uh, like that, that was probably number one. Um, but this guy was just so kind and like so, there was some worthiness about this guy, right? And it makes it, it, makes it even more valuable, his kindness, because it came from a source you didn't expect it to come from, right? And to me, that was just like a great illustration. Uh, it just, it chilled me out. It, it made the rest of my night so much better just from this like divine interaction with this guy. And to me, that's an illustration of like how we should 
be to people in this world. Um, it's an illustration of like um, what I've been talking about the last three weeks prior to this, that um, when, when you give your life to Christ, like we should look different and there should be something different inside of you. And I think for me tonight that that something is worthiness. And that's what I felt with that guy. So the question I want us to ask or ask ourselves and answer hopefully after this is as Christians, as children of God, or people who are borderline, what makes us worthy? Because I think a lot of us struggle sometimes to um, struggle with a lot of things in life because we do not feel that we are worthy of great things. Anybody disagree with that? Like a lot of our problems in this world stem from the fact that in our own minds, we feel like we don't deserve something. And a lot of problems stem from the fact that sometimes we feel like we deserve too much, right? So there's this, this problem in us. And what we'll find is that most of that is very contrary to how Jesus treated people and how Jesus uh, made people feel. And that's what we're going to look at tonight, right? Um, what makes us worthy? So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter 7. And we're going to do a bit of reading tonight, but, but you know I'll tie it together. Um, Luke chapter 7. And there's something amazing that, that kind of happens in Luke chapter 7. Um, if you know the history of Israel and what the political climate was like when Jesus came to Israel, right? You know it was occupied by Rome. Romans in general were not very good people. By, and you, that's a blanket statement. You can say that just by the culture that the Romans lived in. Um, there was uh, a lot of sexual sin. They were just brute, brute people. They were big military force. Like the Romans did not treat people well. And what we're going to see is, is the character of Jesus starts to shine through even to the most hardened of um, political war criminals, right? Like these guys are occupying land that is not theirs. It's holy land. Um, they're just terrorizing these people, right? They're taxing them. They're stealing from them. Um, they're degrading them. And we're going to see, you know, in, in multiple places where Jesus starts getting through to these people. So if you have uh, Luke uh, 7 verse 2 says this. Now a centurion had a servant who was sick and at the point of death, who was highly valued by him, right? That, so that, that's a big win. When the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent him to the elders of the Jews, asking him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to the Jews, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, he is, he is worthy to have you do this for him, for he loves our nation, and he is the one who built this synagogue. And Jesus went with them. When he was not far from the house, the centurion and friends uh, said to him, Lord, pay attention, right? So we're, we're talking about the, these, um, this... Uh, um, Roman who is far from his home in a foreign land talking to a foreign person who does not understand Judaism or Christianity or any of that stuff yet. Yet he is calling this guy Lord, which is a big deal back then. So he says, Lord, do not trouble yourself for I am not worthy to have you come. And what I love about this, right, is we just talked about the nature of Rome and the nature of these Roman people. But this is the first time in the Bible that we see Jesus interacting with a Gentile and not interact but this is going to be the first time that we see Jesus perform miracles on a Gentile. Why is that a big deal? One of the other themes that we've talked a lot about uh, in this series is the Pharisees, right? And they were the ultra-religious people. They were really the politicians of, of um, Israel back then, and they wanted to kill Jesus. So they would, and back then Jewish law was... Um, all for the Jews and the Jews only. So if you were not born of, um, of Jewish blood, if you, you know, everything we talked about in Leviticus, right? If you weren't from the 12 tribes of Israel or anything like that, you were not going to heaven. You were not going to be in the presence of God. And one of the major things that we see, and I think it's so applicable to what we're talking about here, is that Jesus broke the norm and interacted with the Gentiles, right? Which is a big deal because this is the first time 
And understand this, we are Gentiles, right? Most of us, I'd venture to say everybody in this room and probably online is not from uh, Jewish blood. Um, so we're all Gentiles. So for the first time ever, Jesus is reaching out to us. Jesus is interacting with us, right, for the first time ever. And I just really want to drive that point home to you guys. So this is the first proof of Jesus acting any kind of way towards a Gentile. And that's an interesting first world problem. Like we have a foreign soldier, but he's calling this, this weird guy who's not even accepted by his own culture as God, but he's calling him God. He's calling him Lord. Um, and why I say that's an interesting first world problem is he's calling this guy Lord, but yet the men who walk step with step, step to step with him every day, the disciples, um, and all of these people that have already seen him um, turn water into wine and heal the lame and walk and do all these things, still don't have the faith that this guy has in Jesus. Big deal, right? And that's a first, that, that's a problem we face in today's church, right? Is we go through the motions and we sing the songs and we preach the sermons and we, we check off all the boxes, right? But do we really trust Jesus? Like, do we really have that much faith in him? Because like Kevin said this morning, and I found this point interesting, is most of the time, the problem is not that we can't do what God is asking us, it's that we won't, right? And we take for granted, again, being in the presence of Jesus. These people had to do all of these rituals and all of these things, and yet you have a Gentile from a foreign land who's an oppressor, right? The, the scripture is pretty kind towards this guy. It says he, he actually had a pretty good heart but you have this guy who doesn't understand what these guys have, who hasn't seen what these guys have seen, but he has this faith, right? And that's the battle we face like in today's society is we fight that battle of, okay, am I really trusting Jesus? Do I really believe that he's the, the God of the universe um, and that he came to save us? Or am I just going through the motions? So it's an, an interesting perspective there, right? So many of us fall into this category, right? And, and this guy just so gracefully is falling at the feet of Jesus. And in the same breath, he calls himself unworthy. After he just showed that to, to Jesus and after he did all of these great things, in the same breath, he's calling himself unworthy. And therein lies our struggle in humanity, right? I would venture at some point, either right now, I would probably say most of us, um, or all of us at some point fall into the category where we feel this way, right? Does anybody hold themselves back from Jesus because they don't feel worthy to be in his presence? We talked about it last week, right? One of the things we talked about was that um, um, we have this nature as Christians, and I think it really holds us back to feel like God's distant all the time. And that's not true. Like you see, he is with us all the time. Scripture is clear about that, but yet we struggle with that. Do you struggle with feeling unworthy? Most of our problems are stemming from that, right? And here's kind of my first point in this. We lose sight of our worth when we lose sight of our purpose. It's an identity crisis, right? If I don't know who I am or who I was made to be, then I, I'm going to struggle um, when I get off, off basis or I'm going to struggle when I don't understand things because I don't know my life's mission. Agreed? Right? But here, here's the problem, and scripture's clear about that, is we suffer from these identity problems because we were never, the, the world tells us like we're to find ourselves and search for our identity, right? But the Bible tells us opposite. Like we were never made to search for identity. We were made to search for Jesus. And in Jesus, we find our identity. And that's the two, you know, yin and yang battles that we fight, right? Is that we're told we have to find ourselves and be something that we're not when we were made to just find ourselves in Jesus, right? And, and uh, that is our purpose. 
you were never meant to search for self-worth. You were meant to search for Jesus, and in Jesus you find yourself. So don't ever forget that point. Um, being, Je- being Jesus' child is like being, I-, I think about it this way. Let me find the best way to put this. We're all children of God, agreed? And I like to think about being a child of God in the same aspect of, anybody work with like um, the boss's son? Anybody ever had like the, we used to call them, do you know who my dad is, kids? Like kids that would, you know, um, get in a fight and um, be getting arrested downtown or something and their dad's a lawyer and they'd be like, do you know who my dad is? Being a child of Jesus um, is like being the rich kid who works for his father. Um, you think that kid worries about a lot? You know, especially if it's, if, if it, and take the spoiledness out of this. But that kid probably doesn't worry about losing his job. That kid probably doesn't worry about money or things like that, right? Because he knows, he knows, he knows he's in his father's place, right? And when you're in your father's place, you know your father has your back. You don't worry about the same things that the other employees do. Is this making sense? Like, that's how we are, you know, minus the spoiledness. That's how we are in God's kingdom here. We are children of God, therefore we don't have to worry about the things that other people worry about. Our identity, just like that, the you know who my dad is, kid, our identity is in Jesus and not in um, the things of this world. Therefore, we don't worry about the things of this world. Um, and I know easier said than done. I'll, I'll get those emails, I promise. Um, but we don't have the same worries as others around us because our dad owns the place, right? And when we start thinking about that, that's going to bring some self-worth to us, right? Our identity is in who our father is. And when you start taking on that attitude and realizing that your kingdom is not here, your kingdom is there, um, and you're inheriting that, you start looking at the way you do things through a different lens. And when we don't do that or when we struggle with that and we have that identity crisis, that's when we struggle to find self-worth. That's when we struggle to... um, know who we are or know what's in store for us. It's a lot easier to keep going when you know something's over the horizon, right? And for each and every one of us, even you people who maybe haven't accepted Jesus yet, um, like paradise is over the hill for you, right? We're only here for a small portion. Think of the, um, for my hardcore Christians that watch a lot of sermons, if you know who Francis Chan is, think of the Francis Chan rope. He, um, it's, it's this awesome pastor. We've actually done Bible studies with him in here before, but he tapes, a li- he gets this massive rope that goes all the way around his sanctuary and he tapes a little red piece and he said, hey, this represents our relationship and eternity with Jesus and this red piece is our time on earth. And we spend so much time worrying about this red piece and then he just starts pulling and pulling and pulling and pulling the rope. And he said, when all of this is in store for us, understand who you are a child of, understand what is in store for you guys, and you may find a little self-worth in that, right? So let's keep on reading here in this story. So in verse nine, it says this. When Jesus heard these things, um, he he marveled at him, turning to the crowd that followed him, he said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith, right? And what he's really saying here, I, this is specifically a, a, um, a jab at the disciples almost, if you want to call it that. He said, you guys follow me every single day. You have seen me make people walk and turn water into wine and walk on water. And yet this guy who has seen none of that has more faith than you. Right? Verse 10 says this. And those who had been sent returned to the house, or, or he who had been sent returned to the house, and he found his servant well. So we see this time and time again, right? This narrative that these people who are faithfully coming to Jesus don't even bat an eye. He's responding to their boldness, right? We talked about that last week. When we boldly come to Jesus, he boldly responds. Um, and he heals this guy's servant. And it brings up an interesting question that I I want us to all think about in our heads. What do we place value on versus what does Jesus place value on? 
And think about that for a second. Do some inventory in your life and my life, you know. What do we read in the Bible and what can we gather about what Jesus places value on versus what we place value on, right? Most of us, um, I guarantee you, everybody falls into one of these bad categories, right? We place value on money, right? And maybe there's some great people who don't care too much about money. What about your ego? Who places a high value on their ego or their success or all of these things, right? Those are all worldly things that we place value on. But what we see here time and time again is that this servant is coming to Jesus um, and the, the, the woman who had been bleeding her whole life is coming to Jesus um, and the lame and um, like the adulterous woman and all of them are coming to Jesus with faith and with understanding um, and with humble hearts. And we start to see like, hey, maybe that's the thing that Jesus places value on. And we read that stuff, but how often does it sink in? I know for me, not a lot, right? I don't always get that light bulb moment like, hey, Jesus is telling us something here. Like this isn't just a book that I have to read every Sunday. Like he is telling me what he expects of me in here. He is telling me how him and I can have a better relationship, right? It's to come to him boldly and faithfully and humbly and, and put him first and myself second. That's the thing that Jesus places value on and that's what we see in this scripture that I really love, right? Point number two, our lack of self-worth is a self problem, right? We talked about the identity, but it's also a source problem, as we just talked about. And it's interesting because the first week, to, we're getting a full recap here, right? It's been four weeks, I'm chugging along here. Um, the first week, we talked about the fact that the definition of love and the biblical definition of love was given to us by Jesus' sacrifice, right? It's freely available to us. The reason we don't feel it sometimes is because we're looking for it in the wrong places. The cliche is true, right, baby? Um, and it's kind of the same thing with our self-worth. Except with our self-worth, the source problem is that we're not doing it in the right places. We're not doing the things we shouldn't be. We're not exploring our callings in life. We're not using our spiritual gifts. We're trying to do what the world tells us. We're trying to get ahead the way the world tells us. And that's why we do all these things and we work and we're tired and exhausted. And if you're anything like me, you look up and go, what am I doing? I have no fulfillment here. Because we're not looking for our fulfillment in the right places. It's quite easy. Like, we mess this up because we're humans, um, and I'm just as guilty as everybody else. But it's quite easy to know where to find this stuff. The, the Bible makes it pretty clear. Like, you are loved. You do have worth. You're just not looking in the right place. And do I have to mention where, where it is that we look for that? And we get so pumped about it on Sunday, right? On Sunday evenings, I won't even mention Sunday morning because Sunday evening is cooler. Um, we're the, we're the, these are my diehards here. I'll, I'll brag on them all day, they're my people. Um, you, you people online too. Um, but we, we, some of us come and check off that box on Sunday. Go home, go back to our ways, go back to, to the materialism and all the things that the world tells us to chase after. And then on Saturday evening when we're tired and exhausted and, and, and suffering and looking for something, we wonder why, right? Because it is a source problem. We are going to the wrong places to find our fulfillment. And I think about it this way. <laughs> and I... Michelle or one of you guys that have been here for this whole series, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think I've talked about the Stanley Cups every single sermon. But I promise you, it makes sense. I think I found a way to fit it in differently in every sermon, right? I can't get these Stanley Cups out of my head. Like, ladies, why? Why? Right? But I think about these Stanley Cups and I see people like these ladies, it's mostly ladies, 
beating each other up and trying to kill each other for these Stanley Cups. And then I'll look online and there's like a, a green one that's available and it's like 20 bucks for that one. But you have to have the pink one, right? So we have to find a pink one and that one's 150, 200, some of them are charging $300, right? Because I have to have the pink Valentine's Day one. We find value in the dumbest things sometimes and men aren't, men aren't innocent. I'll, I'll go in on, on them in a second. Um, but to me, that cup has no value. I, w- I wouldn't pay $20 for it, right? I-, I would probably pay more for an old school Stanley thermos that my grandpa used to drink whiskey out of um, than a brand new Stanley cup, right? But I start thinking about it this way. I read a story about this lady who said, um, she was talking about her daughter literally being bullied in class because she didn't have a Stanley Cup. So she buys her a Stanley Cup and, and, and it's not the right color, right? That's why I said a yellow one has no value. I, so I, I did a little deeper research just so you guys know and there's only two colors of a Stanley Cup that, that you can have and be cool. White and pink or red. If you have any other colors, it doesn't matter. You, you can find green ones all day because that's where we're placing value, right? Who gets to say the value of that cup? Because it means nothing to me. And we talked about this a little bit last week. Who puts, why, what makes those cups so valuable? I saw a video saying they're made of mercury and they were doing like these tests that say they have all this lead and stuff in them. So I'm guessing they're not, they're probably built in China. I'm guessing they're not of the highest quality. So what gives these inanimate objects value? The fact that you, the buyer, are willing to pay for them. And that comes down to everything in our society, right? You are worth what is willing to be paid for you. Are you starting to see a correlation here? So then I think about it this way, going back to that daughter being bullied, I think about, well, if I had, my, if I had a daughter, um, or I think about my niece, right? Like if Willow was being bullied for this cup, I'll be honest, you guys can tell me if I'm a bad hypothetical parent or not, I'm probably gonna try to buy that for her. So at, at this point, this inanimate object that had no valuable to me, no value at all, you couldn't give it to me for free, um, now my child is involved or my niece or somebody dear to me is involved, right? And all of a sudden it starts having value. I'll pay anything for it at that point. And that's a great illustration of our relationship with God, right? To this world and to others, you may have no value. But the value for me in that situation is not the cup itself, the value is my child. And I'm willing to pay any amount for my child at that point. And that's where we find our worth. That's how Jesus loves us, right? Your worth in Jesus is found because he was willing to lay down his life because you are his child, right? And you're his rich kid. You're, you're the, do you know who my dad is, child to him. This kingdom is yours, right? Everything's in store for you. That's the worth and relationship that we have with Jesus. Does that start to make sense to people? It's not, it, the, the sources that we're trying to find this in just don't make sense until everything goes back to Jesus. So I want to look at one other story here because um, I'm, I'm going to close out after this. I know Mitch yells at me for going too long all the time. I can talk. But I want to look at one more story here, and it involves, these two stories are actually, some theologians believe them to be the same story. Um, but it, it involves another Roman officer and Jesus healing something close to him, right? So um, you have this Roman officer. I'm going to paint the picture for you so I don't have to read 25 verses to you guys and uh, wake Clayton up after that. Um, but you, you have this another Roman official, or maybe it's the same one, right? The difference between these two stories and what, what theologians argue about is um, the, we just talked about the Roman centurion and his slave, right? Which is recorded twice in the Bible. This is a small story recorded once, and it says that it's a Roman official's son. So it's either the same story or, or two very similar stories, but they're different, right? You have this Roman official, right? Most likely very high ranking in the military. Um, 
had a ton of power. Um, so very high in Roman culture, like, you know, the higher you get up, the more probably grimy you had to be to get there. Um, but you have this Roman soldier and his son is sick. And he does the same thing that the centurion is, right? So we're going to pick up and read here where he's um, approaching Jesus to heal his son. So um, if, you ha- if you're in your Bibles, turn with me to John chapter 4 real quick. It says this in verse 46. Understand where he's at at this point. Jesus said to him, unless you see the signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official said to him, sir, come down before my child. Jesus said to him, go to your son, he will live. The man believed that the, the, believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. As he was going down, his servant met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked him the hour when he began to get better. And they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that the hour was when Jesus said to him, your son will live. And he himself believed um, and all of his household, right? Here's the common denominator in here, my friends. These men who didn't know Jesus, um, who were literally just acting on faith, right? Um, And literally like there's the Holy Spirit and all of these things, like they don't know any of this. But these men found purpose in their life through their faith with Jesus. And here's how this kind of ties in um, with Jesus' love, right? Because this sermon series is about love, and we've talked about worth all night, right? Here's how this ties in. Love in and of itself proves worth. You can't have one without the other, right? How many things do you love that have no worth to you? The answer is zero, as much as we want to lie to ourselves. So to imply that you are loved is to imply that you have usually a great amount of worth to something, right? Stanley Cup means nothing to me, but when I buy it for my daughter and she's not bullied in school and all of that stuff, it means the world to her, right? And I do that out of my love. Love in, in and of itself means that something has worth. That thing is worthy to you. See how that ties in? You are loved, therefore, in Jesus Christ, you have worth no matter how much this world tells you, you don't. And the interesting thing about it is, is the world will try its hardest to take that love from you, but it can't take it from you. I'm going to say it till I get blue in the face up here. The world can't take your love and it can't take your joy um, and it can't take all of those things because it didn't give it to you in the first place. If you're, if you're feeling like you're not loved or you're feeling like there's no worth in your life, it's because you're looking for it in the world. And if it can't give it to you, and Jesus can, it can't take it away from you. So please understand that. You see these people, um, like what you see is these people who are not believers come to Jesus in their suffering and they're rewarded. And one of my favorite things about the blueprint of Jesus Christ and what we see time and time and time and time again, it's contrary again to what the world tells us, is that Jesus in his interactions with people and how he treats people and and the people, and you need to pay attention to this, the people he chooses to interact and help with are suffering people, right? So what is he trying to tell all of us reading this story thousands of years later? He's telling us, that in our suffering, that there is something worth it. To suffer means that you have some sort of worth to Jesus. He places a lot of value in the fact that you are willing to come to him and lay yourself down when you are suffering, right? And we've talked about that in length up here. But your suffering means something, and I don't know about you guys, but that's pretty dang inspirational to me. That when, when I'm down or I'm not feeling good or I'm not feeling worthy, that I know Jesus has, has proven, even in just scripture, that what I'm going through actually means something to Jesus and it actually means that I mean something to him because he's showing that he loves me and if he loves me, I have some sort of innate value in that. And I hope we understand that if we don't take anything else away from this, right? In Jesus' existence, he proved that, right? 
What about God sending his son to die? Let's talk about that. If Jesus' actions proved that suffering has value to him, that it's worth it for us, God's, then think about God's, like, go, let's go back to the Torah real quick and what all we've learned. If God's actions against the Israelites and his actions in sending his son to this miserable earth sometimes to die for us um, proves anything, it's that God is not done with you. Because through the Old Testament, right, and I'll, I'll summarize the entire Old Testament for you in this here. <laughs> Sorry to upstage you, Kevin. Um, just joking. I'll summarize the entire Old Testament for you. God delivers the Israelites. They sin against him. They're punished. God forgives them, shows them mercy. They sin against him and are punished. God forgives the Israelites, delivers them. They sin against him. They complain. Um, they have to go through the wilderness and they're delivered, right? And then at some point, God is like, hey, okay, we have to stop this madness. I'm gonna, I'm gonna provide a mediator here, right? And that was Jesus Christ. And through doing that, Jesus never, ever, ever, ever gave up on mankind. He never gave up on the Israelites. And in fact, he sent his son to deliver the Gentiles, us, right? He sent his son so that we didn't have to keep going through this vicious cycle, right? So that there could be some sort of remedy to this. And that just proves if God never gives up on us, then it proves that he is never done with us. And that can be like, uh, um, that's also pretty inspirational to me, right? Like, no matter what, no matter how much I mess up, even the, the lowest, like, scumbag sitting in prison who absolutely deserves the death penalty, right? If they were just willing to come to God the way that these, these Roman soldiers do, that he is not done with them. He has a plan. Paradise is in store for all of us, right? And if it can be that scumbaggy prisoner who deserves death, then it can absolutely be us. God is not done with us, and we tend to think sometimes that we've met our roads in with him, right? We tend to think like, oh, I've sinned so much, and I've done so much, like God can just not love me through this, but that's not like what we see in the Bible, right? What we see in the Bible is, is this cycle, right? But, but uh, you know, I, I said they sin, and they're punished, but what was the last thing I said every single time? They sin, they're punished, they're delivered and forgiven, because he's not done with us. He has a plan, and as, as hard as we try, we are not powerful enough to ruin that plan. And think about what kind of love that takes. Like, how much does it take to love somebody uh, enough to say, no matter how many times they cross me, and no matter how many times they purposefully try to mess it up, I'm still going to be good to them and provide um, all the, these great things that are in store for them because I love them that much that encapsulate, encapsulates God's love for mankind, right? To close out this sermon, I just want to point out um, that there was, there was like no specific selection process for me. And what I mean by that is I chose four or five or six instances of God interacting with people, right? But I could like rip up the entire uh, New Testament and, and, um, glue every piece to my wall and literally throw a dart and it would hit a story of Jesus doing these same things to people, right? Because that's who he was. And in choosing those stories, right, it, it, it just like gives me these examples of, okay, this loving God that we serve, that, that people tell us that we're supposed to be these hateful Christians that, that um, are just judgmental and, and not welcoming and, and stare away from them because they've done all these terrible things, right? That's what the world is saying. But you see our theology here in our Savior. And may I point out the, the, the only religion whose God came and died for them, right? We see him making a man walk after 38 years of, of, um, of being lame. And we see him turning water into wine. And we see him interacting with um, um, 
prostitutes who, or, or I'm sorry, not prostitutes, um, adulterous women who, who are trying to be stoned. And um, all these people that society says are not good or worthy people. Jesus went out of his way to avoid the people saying that and to be with those people. What, my friends, does that tell you about us? I want you to, like, to remember that. I want that to sit with people, right? What that proves, right, is that in his love for us, which is never ending, like, think about how satisfying that is that no matter what I could do until the very end, I could never make Jesus not love me. Does that take a little pressure off of you? <laughs> because I feel a pressure to perform, like, Sunday evenings hangs over me from Friday night till we, till we get up here, right? It's why it's so awkward when I first start. Um, and I feel all these pressures, and I feel this, this pressure as a leader in my other work to um, come in and perform and be a good leader and be a happy person even when things aren't going good for me. Like, my people are not going to see that. But it takes the pressure off knowing that no matter what I do, I can't mess up God's plan, and I can't make him not love me. And we said it in the first um, part of this, and we said in the second, we said it in the third. Um, that kind of love is just unmatched and unfound, right? But it's freely available to us if we're just willing to give that. That's the God we serve, guys. And, and I just want to thank you guys for always being here and being this community. And, and as we go out into this week, I hope that people see that in us and know that you are worthy because um, you're the Stanley Cup, right? Not Lord Stanley Cup. I need to mention that too. Like the real Stanley Cup is a championship hockey cup. So take that, ladies. Um, but you are God's Stanley Cup, right? You are worthy because he loves you and you cannot have love without worth. Let's go to God in prayer. Lord, as always, we just come to you with a, a thankful heart, Lord, that, that we are loved. And even though we're unworthy sometimes, you find so much worth in us that you're willing to send your son and die for us. Um, and heck, that, just, that, that means that we just must be the, so valuable to you, Lord. You created the universe and yet you want me. It's so powerful and I, I just pray that that, that the ears that are hearing this understand that and that I understand it deeply and that, that it just never moves from me, Lord, that I am defined and I am made who I am because of the sacrifice of you. Um, and I, I just hope that that shines through us and that, that we take that with us and that we don't lose sight of that. Like we don't walk out of here on a Sunday evening and forget that on a Monday morning, that we take that and we give that to other people. Um, because, Lord, the e easiest way for us to find worth is to give it to others, and, and you've been clear about that in Scripture. Thank you, Lord, that, we, that we're just allowed to be in your presence, that I don't have to sacrifice. I don't have to um, cleanse myself. I just have to come to you with a faithful and humble heart, Lord. Uh, and I, may we never take that for granted. May I never take that for granted, Lord. Thank you that you give me and each and every person in here worth and endless love. It's in your name we pray. Amen.